It's nice to meet you, Goldie. Nice to meet you, too. And Goldie, Dr. Goldie Muhammad is the author of Cultivating Genius, an Equity Framework for Culturally and Historically Responsive Literacy through Scholastic. She is a PhD. She has a PhD in Literacy, Language, and Culture at the University of Illinois, Chicago, where she's also um, an associate professor. And I came across your book uh, through actually through Lois Bridges. Uh, she mm. was your editor, I believe, on your book. Yes, yeah, she was my extraordinary editor. I really enjoyed working with Lois. And I worked with Lois on a project she's doing, uh, Bring Me a Book. And I just said, oh. I'm looking for, mm -hmm. and I'm looking for some uh, titles for the Summer Book Club. And, and I mentioned yours as one. And she's like, oh, it's phenomenal. It's transformational. You have to do that one. And, and that was oh. it. Oh. Lois says, read it. I read it. So, <laughs> But yeah, I just, it's such a unique book. What drew you into that study? Yeah, I was at the time I was uh, in graduate school and studying for my PhD in language literacy and culture at UIC. And, you know, I, I like a lot of people, I'm always searching for solutions, answers, better ways in education. And I was really interested in the collaborative literacy spaces that are created, like book clubs and writing groups. And that's what my research was on, these literacy uh, collaboratives. And, you know, uh, a professor uh, pointed me in the direction of this rich history um, of literary societies. And I came upon the work of Elizabeth McHenry, who wrote the book Forgotten Readers. And she captures uh, these literary societies uh, throughout this history of the 19th century. And Dorothy Porter, who was a librarian for Howard University, who was also one of the first people to write about these literary organizations. But when I was reading them, I was reading them like a, a K-12 teacher. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, um, Elizabeth McHenry, her scholarship um, has lots of carryover into education and um, library studies and things like that and English um, English studies and, you know, humanities and things. But I was reading it like a teacher and I, I would read and come upon like artifact after artifact. I would read something, then it would direct me toward another um, archive and then another one and another one. And it was like, it was like this beautiful sort of scavenger hunt of knowledge and information. And as I was reading uh, our ancestors, it was helping me to become a better teacher, a better scholar, a better thinker, um, a better doer of my research, you know, instead of just writing about it, like being, uh, helping to show action, right? To improve communities. And so that's kind of how it came about. Um, and when I started reading, I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop reading about it, writing about it and studying these spaces. The framework that you create for this um, around culturally and historically responsive literacy, uh, it's a curriculum framework, right? It's just how do you take some of these ideas and put them into action in the classroom? Yeah, it's a pedagogical framework uh, and it's focused on creating curricular pursuits, teaching and learning pursuits. And I think even if we think about pedagogical and teaching and learning, it can be used across different grade levels in spaces, right? Uh, it depends on where one is teaching and where one is learning. 
So, you know, even though this is, you know, initially designed for K-12 education, I've seen it with, you know, three-year-olds and pre-K. Um, I've seen it with higher education, adult education, uh, doctors using it, uh, um, companies using it to think about their internal uh, work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I also think it has some, some wider manifestations um, in addition to how we use it as teachers and leaders in schools. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, yeah, it's, it's, oh, I, I shared with you before I saw that it's sold over 100,000 copies, which in the educational publishing world is huge. Um, so you've definitely offered something that people are looking for. And just reading some of the examples too, feels like it just couldn't have come at a better time. Um, mm. People are overwhelmed and stressed and, and as well as you know the uh, societal and civil unrest too. Um, but just the kind of the simplicity of it, it doesn't feel overwhelming when I read some of your examples, uh, some of the lessons and units you've designed. Uh, are you finding that when you work with teachers that they're finding this refreshing and um, uh -huh. empowering? The teachers and the leaders, because you know, I want I want principals to um, write a sample, read aloud lesson plan or unit plan with the model and try it out too, because they are teacher leaders. And I feel like that's a big part of it. Um, but what I find is, you know, I think anytime we introduce a new model or a framework, as you know, Matt, teachers may feel like, oh, wait, something else. <laughs> How am I supposed to do something else in addition to everything else I'm doing? And they're absolutely right. You know, we have introduced a lot of models, frameworks, strategies, theories to them. Um, but they have never, the, a lot of these models have never sort of captured cognition with social culturalness, with critical theory, with, with uh, equity, with justice, but would also like with reading skills and <laughs> math skills and STEM and all these things that, you know, my model does. And so I think at first, you know, it may feel overwhelming, but then when I'm with teachers and I have them practice with it, what they create is such genius because our teachers are genius too. And they create these learning experiences, you know, not activities, but experiences with children that are so enriching and meaningful. I mean, things that I think children will remember for the rest of their lives. And they're like, oh yeah, this is doable. Like you're saying, uh, I could do this. And in many ways I've been already doing this parts of it. You know, there are lots of teachers who have centered identity um, in um, the learning. They have not uh, has gone as far as assess it oftentimes. So I think it's been elevating the pedagogical practices of teachers um, across the nation and in other parts of the world too that I've been able to work within. Mm -hmm. So you're, yeah, you're blending different philosophies in the, of education that have come through historically and um, just to allow teachers to be empowered and um, mm -hmm, empower mm -hmm. their kids. Yes. There was one term in there that was pretty new to me, uh, it was criticality. I, I hope I say mm -hmm. that right. Can you describe that term? Just um, You do a nice job in the book, but I think just so everyone's aware of the importance of criticality when you're creating curriculum and instruction. Yeah, so criticality, like the root word critical, and I talk about critical like as uppercase C critical, not just deep and thoughtful analytical thinking, but deep, thoughtful, analytical 
thinking as it relates to justice, equities, inequities, representations, consciousness, power. That's what criticality is. To have criticality means that you have an understanding of oppression, um, anti-oppression. And I define oppression, you know, sometimes people send like messages out and they said, how, you know, one person said, how can you be a disruptor of oppression? That's just horrible. And we're going to let everybody know. And I said, oppression is hurt, pain and harm. If you're not a disruptor of oppression, what would you like me to be? You either want me to be silent on someone else's or my own hurt, or you want me to contribute to it. And so, you know, I talk about oppression in that way because I think you can oppress or hurt the land and the air by polluting and littering. I think we should be teaching students about that. I think you can oppress living organisms like animals and plants. I think we should be teaching students about that because if we don't teach them how to disrupt it, we may not have a planet for them to live on, right? Mm -hmm. I teach them about the hurt, pain, and harm we can often inflict to ourselves, like, you know, saying negative things to ourselves, like, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough. And then I think people can hurt and harm other people, like through racism, sexism, ableism, religious discrimination, classism, and things like that. So criticality, the way that I use it and take it up in my work, it is the naming, the understanding, the questioning, the uh, disruption of hurt and harm in the world and humanity to understand it and name it enough and disrupt it enough that you're working every day to make the world better, to make our, our lives better and the lives of others better. And that's what criticality is. It pushes for a better humanity for all not just for black children or white children or brown children, but for all of us, because we have to be um, in, in this together in harmony. And so that is, that's, a, that's my short, maybe longer, but shorter description of criticality. That's perfect. And it's, it's broad enough that you can apply it to just about any, um, you need a study, um, whether it's history or whether it's the current uh, reality, like you said. Um, just seems like an entry point I think that teachers are looking for. Like, I want to talk about some of these issues, but I feel like I can't because I'm going to get, you know, blasted by someone in the community or I'm even at risk of losing my job. And, and so they've been, maybe they're feeling like they're stuck and they don't know where to start. And I feel like, I feel like your work would allow them to do that. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, sometimes I have to, I, we have to think about ourselves but we should not have systems and structures that make teachers think about losing their jobs if they are trying to teach in equitable ways. That should make you keep your job. But our system has been a little bit reversed in that sense. Mm -hmm. And it, in some ways it can avoid some issues where we end up being insensitive to, to a group or um, uh, around a topic, you know, because we're just not, maybe we're not versed in it or we just don't feel confident in it. So I just mm -hmm, feel like mm -hmm. the framework really does help. Um, can you just real quickly walk through your four steps to develop the unit? Yeah. Um, so I call these um, steps more so like pursuits, right? Yes. 
And criticality is one of them. So I like to start with intellectualism. What are students becoming smarter about? Pushing back against practices that have only taught skills in isolated ways. Like we teach children how to read that are devoid of text, of, of sometimes of text connected to their lives, to the world. Sometimes we teach mathematics decontextualized to students' identities and to the world. So it's kind of pushing back on that notion where I think, where, what do I want my students to be smarter about? And, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, maybe last week, I wanted my students to be learn about sugar and the history of sugar, where it's grown, um, the history of sugar and freedom. There's like a rich history in Louisiana of sugar among communities in color. And I, that was the starting point. And then I, then I go to um, identity. Uh, well, what does sugar have to do with the identity of my students? Well, a lot of children consume sugar, but do they, do they sort of monitor their conception and know what they're putting in their bodies? And so to me, I made a goal of students will uh, consider their daily and weekly intake of sugar and compare it to, you know, what doctors say are norms of what sugar, what children that age need. And then I go to um, identity matters because we should, for, for purpose, for the reason of like authentic purpose, children want to know what does this have to do with my life? And we should be creating spaces where students get to understand who they are and who they are destined to be. They might grow up and say, you know what, uh, I need to cut back on my sugar intake. <laughs> I don't know. The third pursuit that our ancestors gave us are skills. So I went to the skills goal and I said, well, what does uh, sugar have to do with skills? So I used two different skills. One was a science skill of studying the molecule and uh, being able to learn how to dissolve sugar through experimentation. That was the science goal. And then I'm a literacy. I mean, I'm always bringing more literacies in. So I also will want students to learn how to read and write a lab report that one would do as a scientific expert. Uh, the fourth pursuit, which we already mentioned was is criticality. And what does sugar have to do with harm and hurt? I won't say oppression, <laughs> but sometimes I feel like sugar oppresses my body um, because it does. It harms, it can harm the body, certain sugars, right? So I would have students look at unhealthy forms of sugar. Sometimes doctors call them bad sugars versus good sugars. Those that are, you know, in certain uh, processed foods and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they would look at the harms of what it does to the body. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, sometimes they show like these images of pouring sugar in these containers and how much sugar is in this and this and this. Uh, I think it was like a Parks and Rec episode where they had this sugar, this fast food place. It's like all this sugar in it. But, you know, we would think about the, the harms of the sugar of the body of certain sugars. And then for joy, I added a fifth element to the, the model, and I know it will be written about in my next book, um, is joy. What's the beauty, the aesthetics, and the topics we're teaching? Children need joy. Teachers need joy. Parents need joy. We all do. And so I would maybe then focus on the healthy sugars, like that's in fruits and vegetables. A lot of children don't know that, you know, there's sugar in certain vegetables, 
Um, and so collectively, it just started with sugar, but we're able to teach intellectualism, skills, identity, criticality, and joy. So now I'm teaching the whole child and I'm taking sugar. I could have easily just taught them, hey, this is sugar. <laughs> we're going to dissolve it. Mm -hmm. But look, now I'm giving them a richness of history of sugar, where it comes from. I'm intellectualizing it because they are scholars, the children. It's a relevant topic. And it's like you said, it's so much more than this is what sugar is. Don't eat too much. And of course, they're going to go home and, you know, do what a lot of kids do you know, and have too much. So, um, and there are so mm -hmm. many other, just as you were talking, I'm thinking other, so many other pathways you could take it. You could go at, you know, from the, uh, look at the history of, of where sugar came from is currently coming from. And, uh, you know, as the kids get older, right. And, um, taking a critical look at, you know, the, maybe the working conditions, um, of how, of how it gets to your store. Um, so yeah, just very interesting. Um, and it's great to hear that Joy's, um, an added piece to it. Um, when is the book coming out? You know, I don't, I didn't know when Cultivating Genius was going to come out. You know, I have learned to move in the world to just feel like when it's time, it will happen. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what happened. You know, I've been training and, and doing work with Cultivating Genius for over 12 years, even though the book is almost two years old. Um, and so, you know, the way I write, the way my art of writing is when it comes, whatever my, my mind tells me is time to write, then it'll probably just pour out. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I'm hoping sometime um, next year okay. um, in 2022, that would be lovely. Um, if not, sometime after, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. But it'll focus on unearthing genius and joy you know more more connection on joy and how to take now the model that teachers are learning and go deeper into it but also give leaders the tool to support teachers in doing this work as well yeah that's that's key i know for me to know we're going in the right direction because we're just like you said there are so many initiatives that we we have to be careful um well this has been great um Goldie, where can they find more about your work and uh, just to learn more about you, about you? Social media is a good place, like on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Goldie, G-H-O-L-D-Y in the letter M. And um, I like to, like my sugar unit draft I just posted. Teachers are post, they're just doing amazing things with the model. So I like to share um, their lessons and units and ideas. Um, so, and, you know, I'm at the University of Illinois at Chicago and, you know, I'm always inviting people to come study with us, I have amazing colleagues doing such great work there. So they can also reach out to me that way. Okay. Awesome. Well, this was a, a, a treat for you to join me today and, uh, uh, thank you for doing the work that you do. No problem. Thank you for the invitation and thank you for your work. Um, we need all of, you know, we need this kind of work to come together to give our educators more tools and more understanding and do it, you know, in collaboration. And that's what I feel, you know, when I see the work um, that's happening. So I just want to say thank you again. Mm -hmm.